Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. You can follow us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod and give us a like on Facebook. Go down to the description of all of the Thundercast episodes for all of our social media links, including Thundercast.online, the online home of the Thundercast, where you can catch up on some really cool articles from a fan perspective, uh, really cool ideas, not your traditional stuff really right now of you know, a game breakdown or something like that, or, or, um, a recap. This is really some other cool type stuff. And, um, Russ, just take a second. I know you usually don't talk during the intro, but just a few seconds about what thundercast.online is all about before we continue into the episode. Sure. So as you said, we're not looking for play by play on game breakdowns or things like that. It's more about, we're for the fans and it's by the fans. So our fans can write for us. Uh, we're looking for coverage of specific teams, but not in the sense that I need people taking notes at the game, just watch the game live or on TV, talk about the experience and how everything's going with the team. If, uh, if we've got passionate fans that want to do that, they're also going to want to read the articles because other people are going to be doing that for other teams. Uh, we have things on there. Um, about man caves for Marshall, different mm-hmm. uh, uh, top 10 plays. Trace Johnson, one of the writers, he he did that for us. Uh, I have a couple on there. One uh, that I thought was really cool was uh, what it's like for the family when someone enters a transfer portal. And we did Trent Holler's family as uh, he moved here from ECU uh, a couple of years back now and what that entire process was like. So it's just things that, we're not looking to try to compete with existing websites to try to break news and stuff like that. We're more about just, Hey, this is some stuff that's going on. It's pretty cool. I've got one in my pocket right now that I haven't uh, written up and posted, but it'll be up by this coming weekend that I think is going to be pretty, pretty cool. And I know trace has one that he's getting ready, at least one that he's getting ready to drop as well. Yeah, see, so if you're into that sort of thing and you have these ideas floating around in your head and you're thinking, man, I'd really like to have a article where I talk about, you know, X, Y, Z thing, like the top 10 plays or, mm-hmm. you know, something like. And I'll tell you what, you know, you've talked about a family going through the transfer portal process. I think it would be interesting to talk to families that as they went through the recruiting process, you know, just mm-hmm. the traditional high school recruiting, especially folks that are from nowhere near Huntington, West Virginia, because that's always intriguing to me how let's say a family from Texas gets on the radar at Marshall and then that relationship builds. Cause you're thinking, man, that's really far away. And there are a lot of schools in between where you may be in your part of the country in Huntington, West Virginia. So that kind of stuff always interests me. But anyway, uh, open a tab on your phone and uh, get it open to thundercast.online and uh, you know, check out what we got brewing over there as football season continues and the summer continues. There's going to be more and more stuff on there. Yeah. We're going to try to, uh, 
kind of incorporate a little bit of a visitor's guide for those opposing fans so they can get places to eat and local spots and all the good stuff. So you don't have to come in and think, well, I need to go eat at Applebee's because I'm not sure what's good here. But, you know, Russ, Russin uh, will definitely give you the what's what around the Huntington food scene. <laughs> That's I, sure. I heard, I heard ten, Tennessee was looking to see if we had a uh, uh, <laughs> an Applebee's. Uh, so I heard. But yeah. – uh, so look, this is the this is going to be a big week for us. There's a lot of big news that, and some just happened within the last 24 hours, really. Yeah. But uh, this was going to be a big week for us anyway because this is the week we kick out kick off our position group breakdown series for the 2023 football season, and we're going to kick it all off with the coaching staff and get a breakdown on the coaching staff and what's changed and what's going on, and all the good stuff moving around uh, all those position groups or who's leading those individual position groups. But before we get into all that, of course, let's get a sponsor, or let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been hurt in a wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. Matt and Jason are experienced injury lawyers in Huntington who have helped many people just like you with claims throughout West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. Car wrecks, truck wrecks, and injury claims aren't just something they do. It's what they do. Find them at 304carwreck.com. Russ, we can't get into position group breakdowns and talking about this coaching staff, which I'm really anxious to start doing, without getting at least five things every Herd fan needs to know. So, lay them on me. All right. Uh... Five things every herd fan needs to know this week, as usual, brought to you by Ignite Link, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, this is one of those late-breaking things. Megan Smith-Lyon is moving on and will be the head coach at North Carolina for softball next year. This is so big for her. Let, 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 I don't even want to talk about her in softball right now. I want to talk about her because she's a great person. Yep. And uh, the relationship that we built with that softball program and that coaching staff from when we started has just been great. And, of course, she's at the forefront of that. So, for her, this has got to be the dream job, right? Mm -hmm. she was a, she's a UNC alum. Uh, she played under legendary coach that just retired. And if there was one job on the radar that worried me to death, it was that one because, mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, man. If, you, if you're in the coaching ranks and Marshall comes calling and you're thinking, I get to go home and do what I love, I'm doing it, right? So I wish her nothing but the best. I've, I've reached out and thanked her for all that she had done to elevate uh, her softball and what she did to embrace us and was so kind and, and uh, giving to us on this show. So – I'm really honestly, truly happy for her it, it, and, mm -hmm. and Corey, you know, yeah. because that puts her closer to home, back to her, closer to her family, her parents, and she gets to be at her alma mater and do things. Let's face it, Sunbelt's big softball, but ACC softball is a big deal too. Mm -hmm. And she gets to do it on an even bigger stage and try to take her school to a women's college world series. And um, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy for her. I mean, I'm, I'm not angry in the slightest. I, it sucks because she was so great here yeah. and, and what she did here and, and the levels that her softball got back to after Shonda Stanton left and, you know, she built it right back up and, and it became something powerful again. So now we're left with what do we do next? Where do we go from here? And that's a conversation we'll have at a later time, but I know you have some words also about Megan and, and this news. 
if I had my druthers, I would hope that she and Corey would be here forever. You know, mm-hmm. they would retire here. I love the energy, uh, the care that they have for their roster. Uh, speaking to alums and current players about what they think and feel about those two coaches uh, to have them as mentors in life, as friends, um, just blows you away, you know, and that's what you want in a program. You want to hear that. We hear that in, in football. We hear that in basketball, these people that would do anything for their coach. They felt like that they've helped them grow as a human. That's what we got with Megan. And, um, she was very friendly to us uh, when we wanted to cover the team and they were thankful for getting the coverage and they were also willing to help us cover the team and, you know, approached us with a couple of different things that we ended up doing those interviews, those um, uh, not just with Megan, but with those players uh, to allow people to get to know this program that, that much more. Uh, I feel extremely close to this program and I am also extremely happy for her that she gets to go home to her alma mater, not far from where she grew up. Um, Just everything about that. She's going to look, I have, uh, I have zero uh, problems with admitting that the ACC in North Carolina is a step up. Mm-hmm. You know, unless we're talking soccer and I feel like, you know, men's soccer right now is probably on par with that sort of thing. But in just about every other sport, I don't think anyone would disagree that it's a step up to do that. So for her to be able to do that at the place where she played for replacing the coach that she played for and being that much close to her family, um, I'm I'm ecstatic for her. it doesn't Me mean it doesn't mean that. uh that I like it, you know, <laughs> yeah, most certainly don't like it. <laughs> I, 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 I hate what it means that, you know, we have to try to replace that, you yeah. know, and, and all the different fallout that could potentially happen with that, with uh, current recruits and players and, and things for both teams, UNC sure. and, and Marshall. Um, but I'm happy for her and uh, best of luck moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. Now look, the pressure kind of gets put on, uh, athletic director Christian Spears now, right? Because this program mm-hmm. has a lot of momentum around it. I mean, you just are fresh off of a Sunbelt Conference championship game appearance where you lose one to nothing. Mm-hmm. You set a single season program record for wins, a single, an all time record for attendance, uh, not only at Marshall at the dot, but in the state of West Virginia at a softball game, you break an all-time record. Automoan does that with the, uh, the single-season RBI record. There's a lot of momentum here. Fan support is good. So when you look at the job, that you you look at this, this, uh, this program and the job that is now available, it's got to be attractive to some, uh, some really top-tier uh, candidates, right? Mm-hmm. Because Megan said it, she, she said it like it, there's not support at other bigger schools like there is here at Marshall. And that's a mm-hmm. big draw. So when you yeah. look at that sort of thing and you know what, selfishly Russ, I'd like to think that we play a part in that too, because of the coverage that we provide to the softball team 
that 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 other teams are probably aren't getting across the country. Now, I'm not saying somebody would take the job because we do this podcast. I'm just saying it's another one of those things. It's pretty cool because we did do feature a feature on them, and 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 we love talking to the coaches and getting a breakdown on the teams and stuff like that. So it's a small part of something positive that we offer that other schools might not. And there are some names that are floating around there that people would love to see come back home and uh, just brought in for to go through the process and everything. And we're going to let that play out at least get more than 24 hours old before we start talking about that sort of thing. But you're right. There's going to be a lot of roster movement on both sides of this transaction. Right. And we don't Mm -hmm. know who's going to go and who's going to stay. And there's a lot of speculation out there that, well, all of our best players are just going to go. Well, that's not entirely that easy because a lot of them were transfers in. So mm-hmm. you can't just up and go without setting. So there's not going to be a senior, I would think, that's going to transfer out just to set and never play again. So you got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Now, things are obviously different if you're a graduate student and you've graduated mm-hmm. and you can transfer on and play again. But we, we'll we see how the roster movement goes. Uh, we'll see how the commitments for the class go. A lot of that's going to have to do with who ultimately gets hired to be the new, the next new head coach. But this is uh, pretty earth-moving news for us. I didn't expect to be talking about this. But once again, what can you do, man? I'm just so happy for Meg. I'm so happy for Corey. Uh, I, I'm like you. I wish they would have stayed here literally forever and mm-hmm. and retired. But I cannot fault her for literally going to live her dream. Congratulations to head coach Megan Smith Lyon of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Yeah, I would. Uh, I really don't have anything more to say. I would just have to agree with everything you said there. We're going to have to wait and see what the players do. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see some situations that it would make sense, you know, for some players, but I know nothing about UNC's roster, and I'm not going to speculate on anything. Uh, I don't think that's fair for me to mention any kind of names to have people react in a certain way, because I know nothing about what these players are going to do. And um, that's between them and their, uh, their coaches and, and all that. So, well, let's also not forget, we've got something pretty good here. We've got something pretty good going here. So the grass isn't always greener. And sometimes you find out that that looks that way, but all it's not. So, we just have to wait and see. We're in a wait and see mode right now. That's it. Yep. All right. Number two, a uh, little bit more positive news here. We got Chris Parker is also on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot, joining Randy Moss from Marshall. He's been on there before, but uh, great to see that he has a renewed chance on getting in. Yep. For all the talk that there has been recently, not only about Moss being on the ballot, mm-hmm. but amongst some of the I'm going to assume that they're younger members of the herd fan base talking about uh, it's it's usually in conjunction with talking about the return of Rasheen Ali they're talking about the great running backs in herd history and there some uh, some of these lists just absolutely forget to mention Chris Parker and he's the number one rusher in school history you know the I, I number never, one I ne- I never forget. And anytime when we were in school, people, you know, maybe they didn't follow until they got there to school. Maybe they started picking it up. You know, we were here the first year of uh, going back to division one a is what it was at the time. But uh, I used to tell people, if you 
have not seen Chris Parker run. You need to get some videos and watch this guy run. <laughs> no kidding, because he's you know, the best ever, right? As at least from a yardage standpoint, and he is a great runner in his own. You can't short sell what the guy was able to do. You're talking about a national champion and all American. I mean, listen, five thousand nine hundred and twenty-four career rushing yards, folks. Yeah. So as great as the Ahmad Bradshaws were, and they and he was, as great as Doug Chapman was, and he is, as great as all of these guys, nobody's close to that rushing total. No one. And to, to know that it wasn't just a one-man army. It's not like, well, they had Chris Parker and nobody else. No, these are all-time great teams that were winning yeah. championships, going to the national championship game, all that sort of stuff. So you're right. It's really great that he's back on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot and boy, wouldn't that be awesome to be able to get two in the class of uh, 2024. Man, congratulations to Chris Parker. Um, you know, we, we you were fortunate enough to talk to him uh, last year, I think it was, last spring maybe? No, it was in October. Oh, okay, in October. Oh, that's right. It was, it was right before uh, the weekend of one of the games. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can tell that these guys – never have lost their love for the herd and and mm -hmm. they love coming back as a matter of fact they just had that networking event uh, the other day for the herd football guys and i saw some of those uh you know older guys i hate to call them older guys because they're you know they're barely older than we are but uh back taking part in that and 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 working on a you know the professional side mm -hmm. of this uh you know football brotherhood that that they have there at marshall so they, these guys just love coming back and being being able to give back in any way that they can to this younger generation. But guys, don't short sell the greatness of Chris Parker. Let me uh, sell it a little bit more. You know how <laughs> we would be ecstatic right now if someone ran for seventeen hundred yards yeah. in a season. His final three years at Marshall, seventeen hundred yards in each of those, eighteen hundred thirty-three yards as a senior. 68 rushing and 71 total career touchdowns, uh, 428 points scored, 7,145 all-purpose yards. Those are all records here at Marshall. Uh, don't care how many games that they got to play <laughs> because it was uh, uh, what the Division 1A at the time should have been doing after all was, you know, having a, a playoff. Mm -hmm. uh, don't care that it was uh, Division One Double A. Uh, listen to the coach. Go find those. Uh, it's on uh, the Thundercast YouTube. Go find that uh, interview with Chris Parker. The interview with Glenn Pedro. He was talking about Chris Parker. Listen to defensive coordinator Mickey Matthews talk about Chris Parker and how uh, we were the field conditions over there caused him to slip. Otherwise he was going to run for about 600 yards against, uh, <laughs> was it, was it Montana? Maybe what, and what you're talking about a championship game. Yeah. The oh yeah. That, the one that we lost. Wasn't it 95? Was wasn't that Montana? Yeah. That was 95 Montana yeah. 95. Yeah. So, uh, and he tore up his knee and, uh, otherwise what probably would have been a very good NFL career. You know, yeah. this guy was legit. Yep. He was, if he were coming out of college, coming into college now, he could play now. You yeah. know, for, for folks that, for whatever reason, think, well, you know, they weren't that great 30 years ago. This guy could play if he was a fresh or uh, coming up as a senior now, you know, and, and entering the recruiting process. He could play now. He was. You go stand next to him. Stand next to him. I think he could suit up right now for <laughs> this, this year. And, and, uh, 
just I, unbelievable. Uh, other yeah. thing that I have to say about the College Football Hall of Fame nomination for this year is, you know, we were talking about it's got to be at least 10 years. And, uh, you know, Moss uh, played last at 97 here and all that. If you look at the names that are on this list, and a lot of them are from big schools, they didn't play that much later than Randy Moss, and they are just now getting on the ballot this year. Mm-hmm. So this isn't isolated to somebody at Marshall didn't get it done. We covered all that last week and talked about how you know they had attempted to nominate him on three separate occasions before this. But uh, Larry Fitzgerald is on there. Some people, I think, that were older than Moss that are getting on there for the first time. And we're talking about had pretty big NFL careers, but definitely college careers. Mm-hmm. So... It's it's not as uh, egregious as it looked, I guess you would say. Yeah, I guess once you dig into it, it's just not a cut and dry thing. You know, right. there's always extenuating circumstances, and you never know. But I don't care. We got two on the ballot this year, and if we yeah. could, I want at least one. But if we can get both of them, that would make for one epic weekend for a football game in 2024. You could better, you can believe it. Both are extremely. Um, deserving of this oh, and yeah. i would be shocked that i know moss is in i mean there's nobody that's gonna not vote for him but uh it's I, I really hope that chris gets in as well all right so number three also a uh positive thing we got a new basketball coach but we're also keeping jenna burdett and she's being elevated to associate head coach for women's basketball yeah i like to see a little bit of continuity there uh, mm-hmm. We've seen some turnover with some of the assistants already, and I don't know. There may have been more that just didn't make it to the social media or that it did make it to the social media, and I didn't see it. But I'm really happy for uh, Jenna. She uh, she seems to be really happy about it, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, even Kim, I saw the, uh, saw the tweet from Kim Stevens saying that uh, there's really nobody she'd rather go to work with every day. So you got to like what's going on here with the herd women's basketball kind of heard through the grapevine a little bit that, well, maybe it was you that said that, that there's still the potential for a couple more scholarships out there available and we'll see how those go. But uh, I love a little bit of continuity that really helps that no matter how big or how small, a little continuity within a program is always a good thing. And uh, it really helps tie everything together, especially when you're talking about a first year head coach. Um, but I don't think she's having any problems building relationships with this roster. Right, I think right. they're pretty ecstatic to have a, a head coach like Kim Stevens here, but I'm really happy for Jenna Burdett and uh, Herd Women's Basketball. Yeah, and we will be discussing Herd Women's Basketball just a little bit more in Around the Herd, so we'll uh, talk a little bit more about that. Number four, the ECU game has been given a kickoff time of 4 p.m., and that game on September the 9th will be on ESPNU. Yep, I like that. Uh, love love that you don't necessarily have to watch it on uh, ESPN Plus, even though that's super handy for me. Mm-hmm. But that should get you um, a little bit more exposure. And you'd like to think that that's one of those, you know, it's always going to be a storyline. It's always going to be a storyline. Whenever Marshall and East Carolina play each other, they're always going to talk about uh, 1970, the 1970 game. And they're going to show the memorials at both schools because Mm -hmm. this is what we just believe is one of those unique type rivalries that's just different. It's just different because it's not built uh, out of a 
what a traditional rivalry is built out of. So I'm really glad of obviously that they're on the schedule. Uh, and I'm, and I'm really thrilled that this is going to be a nice afternoon kickoff on, um, available on, you know, the ESPN family of networks, not just the online family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like that. So we we're gearing up to have some really big time exposure here. And if, if Marshall makes some noise in the early season, we could see that exposure, exposure kind of shoot up a little bit towards the middle end of the season. But this is a good one. I like, I like that we've landed on ESPNU here. I have always gotten along with ECU fans. I try to go out of my way when they come by uh, walking past tailgates for various different tailgate locations I've had over the years. I have always made it a point to stop and talk to them, thank them for coming to Huntington. You and I, I can remember uh, years back, I'm going to blank on the year, uh, maybe it was 2016, but maybe it was even earlier, 2010, something like that. We uh, we played them at home, and we beat them when they were much better team than we were. We had yeah. a very down year, and we were walking back, and they just happened to be in a pack, huge pack of ECU fans as you and I were walking down 3rd Avenue, and they none of them were saying anything bad. They were uh, thankful for the hospitality that we showed them. We talked to them the whole way down. I don't know if you remember that. I, I do. do. I do. And um, I love that we're forever going to be intertwined. And they have good, passionate fans. I've always rooted for their team uh, when we are not playing them. I just feel like it's one of those programs that you'd like to see. They're probably not getting the, uh, I know they're not getting the same funding that you know, the bigger schools in their state are getting. So I root for things like that. Yeah, that that's one of those programs that I feel like is really a mirror type program for, you know, for what Marshall is, you know, you're, you, um, there's a lot of similarities, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we both fight that uphill battle of being not the marquee program in the state in the in your perspective home or your respective home state a lot of times in a lot of people's eyes you know of course for you and i it doesn't the herd's always going to be number one and for a lot of people the herd's always number one but there's a lot there there's a lot of similarities there and and east carolina is just fun to play they're just mm-hmm. they're just fun to play that it when you think about enjoyable weekends and we've had discussions here even today about teams that some people want to play and others really don't care to play again. And a big part of the reasons that I don't care to play some of those teams again is because the weekend isn't fun. It's, it's just, it doesn't, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And East Carolina is always an enjoyable weekend when they come to Huntington or I've never been to uh, watch a game <clears throat> there, but I imagine it's just the same, you know, uh, a lot of the same types of hospitality. And I want to, talk about the 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 house cleaning note here that was in 2013 by the way you're talking okay. about we we beat them 59 to 28 and and a lot of folks consider that to be one of doc holiday's one or two may even easily top three victories of his tenure because they were heavy favorites in the uh, conference usa east division and we just took it to them right there at, at the joan i remember uh one of the key plays where there was linebacker gary thompson had a uh uh, interception return for touchdown that was like on the three yard line. Yeah, I <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> so, it was on. It was on the McDonald's end. That, yeah, that end, yeah. So that was a uh, that was just an all around beat down that the herd put on the Pirates, and we're not throwing shade here, but that's the game you were talking about. And you're right. So to come in as a heavy favorite like that, it was quarterback Shane Carden for the for the Pirates. Mm-hmm. They were tearing it up, and um, 
to get to get almost 60 put on you when you were the heavy, heavy favorite and have to make that walk back to the car, those conversations could have went off the rails really yeah. quickly. And they didn't. They were just like, man, you guys were they, really they the were, better team today. They, you know? they were not dogging their own team. They were nope. congratulating our team. Um, that's the way it should be. Yep, it really should be. So I, re- I definitely remember that day, not only for the game, but also the conversations on the sidewalk walking back afterwards. So. I, I, too, have never been to Greenville to watch a, a game. I want to go down there this year. I had it earmarked, and now there is a uh, potential roadblock uh, with – a schedule that my wife has and I have, and I don't know. I'm really hoping to get down there. Uh, I really want to go down there. I want to experience going to ECU. I want to see that m- memorial uh, plaque and, and everything, but um, I really hope to go, but it's, I would say 50, 50 or maybe even less now that I'm going to get to go. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the final thing. And uh, we have some awesome classroom stats for our herd athletes. And KD, before I get into this, I'm going to let you go ahead and tell me what this is. It's a word that you like to use. <laughs> well, it I tweeted a- it. <laughs> I tweeted it when I saw the graphic. But yes, this is absolutely a differentiator. This is the things that that matter more so than wins and losses. And it's how we're how our athletes are in the classroom. You know, so here's the 2023 academic accomplishments. 14 out of 16 teams have a GPA 3.0 or above spring semester GPA 3.222, 80 students with a 4.0 GPA. Jeez. Highest women's team GPA went to golf 3.972. Who got the B? Who got the B? (laughs) (laughs) Highest uh, men's team GPA cross country 3.53. Let's see here. There's a couple more. 287 students were above a 3.0. 10 out of 18 teams were above a 3.30 GPA. And 187 students above 3.5 GPA. Jeez. I mean, we talk about how many hundreds of student athletes there are. And I think the number is over, what, 400 or something like that? Now that they re-added men's track, I think it's right around the 400 mark. That's a good number to say. So let's just say that. Let's say it's 400. So you've got 400 athletes, 287 of them. So almost two-thirds or three-fourths of them almost were above a 3.0. And then more than half of those were above a 3.5. And then nearly half of those were a 4.0. So roughly 25% of our student athletes are getting a 4.0, roughly. Um, that's pretty good stuff. I, I couldn't even sniff a 4.0 when I was in college. And we've talked about the workloads and everything else that they have to do. And, you know, the schedules they have to keep. Their time management skills are off the charts and able to be able to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, some of these students, they, they're taking, they're, they're studying majors that are even far beyond what I was studying from a difficulty level. So you can't help, but applaud them. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't help, but applaud them, the hard work, the dedication to their craft on the athletic fields and the classroom is just, is just something to behold. And I'm so proud. Every time we talk about this stuff, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel a little bit bad that I couldn't do that kind of stuff, but it makes me feel really good that there are people out there that we're recruiting that are accomplishing this stuff. 
Well, I don't think if you added my GPAs together for four <laughs> years, I would have gotten a 4.0. But uh, uh, I think the biggest miracle out of that is I got four years in. They usually they give up on uh, people a little bit earlier than I say, that. Say it the right way. Say, yeah. <laughs> they, they quit, quit you. <laughs> they, they, they quit our friend, Brian. <laughs> anyway, that uh, brings an end to the five things every Herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by Ignite Link. Yep, mixed bag of things, man. But you know, even the even the first thing that makes it a mixed bag is still a mixed bag in and of itself. I'm happy, but I'm not happy for what it means for the herd. But I'm really happy for Megan and Corey and and that yeah. staff. So, um, so let me ask you a question: Do you want to keep with traditional uh, format, or do you just want to go ahead and do the around the herd segment and then close out? with the coaches breakdown I'll yeah let's go here. let's go around the herd because it's okay. uh super short right now there you know no uh games are being played so we just got a little bit of news uh that we can talk about on a few sports we'll start off with men's basketball and we got an official commit this seemed like it was uh all but official for the last two weeks but uh kevin voiles officially commits to marshall men's basketball transferring in from i can't remember the school in maryland i had it i, yeah, I did have it. i did too but i didn't write it down if you give me one second i might be able to find it well i can tell you that over the last couple of years he's uh, been right around 49 percent from the floor and shooting around 40 percent from three he's a lefty uh seems to be a slasher uh can help a little bit uh if he's not a full-on point guard, he can help alleviate some of that uh, yeah. by committee. But uh, having a lefty slasher that can help distribute the ball and shoot 40 from three, that's a, a good get. Yep, and if if our guys think, if our coaching staff think this, this, is, the, this is the skill set that's going to uh, make this Marshall offensive machine move from a tr- more traditional point guard standpoint, then okay. Uh, from a distant view, you look at – and you've talked about this before. You can't just read into stats and what somebody did elsewhere. But right. this is not a situation to me where I look at it the same this time because you're moving up in competition level. And if you're moving back in competition level a little bit, you might think, okay, you don't really have to pay attention to that. But I, it's a, it's concerning but not like overly concerning, right? Because you're thinking about the, the point totals that you have to replace from Kinsey and Andy Taylor – and hand logged and then you look at what uh, has been brought in now it may work flawlessly and you might not have a, a too much of a miss in production there but being that we're stepping up in competition um for voils it makes you go okay well let, let's see what we've got here before you start getting way overly excited or ready to jump off a cliff let's just mm-hmm. see what we have but looks now like the roster is actually going to be complete as far as we can tell, at least from a scholarship standpoint, I don't think there's anything else out there. There might be one floating that I don't know about, but this was the this is what we needed, right? They said, "Well, we've got to have a point guard, we've got to have a guard, we've got to have somebody that can distribute and move the ball and 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 score when needed." And Kevon Kevin or Kevon Boyles is is the guy for the herd. There's a lot of uh, scuttlebutt online. I think it's a lot of wishful thinking. I don't know anything inside otherwise we would talk about it but we have uh a lot of talk that there might be one more position that we're going or one more player that we're going after i won't pretend to know how that could come about 
and anything would be again unfair speculation. Look, we speculate on here all the time, but sure. I'm not I'm not going to talk about uh, a particular athlete or athletes that may or may not have a scholarship uh, next year. I, that's just nothing that I'm going to get into. Uh, you can find plenty of discussion on message boards, and I would just caution everyone to say it's an individual under a uh, anonymous name on a message board. You know, yeah. if, uh, if there was a lot of discussion about it, you'd probably hear it uh, in more traditional media. Yeah. It just doesn't know one any good, right? Like why would you, why would you, why would you start throwing names out there? Like, yeah. well, this, this guy doesn't need a scholarship because blah, yeah. blah, blah, X, Y, Z. Like what, yeah. what's that do? You know, what's, right. what's that do? So let the, let the course play out. And then after it's done playing out, then we'll react however we want to react. <laughs> right? The other thing that I'll say about Voiles is, uh, you know, I've seen talk where he had 13 points per game, and this is what you were alluding to. Uh, people have said, well, that's only 13, and we lost this and from Andy, and we lost this from Tavion. I don't think that he played the same minutes, and that's the same thing that I said in reverse about when Andy goes down uh, to – play for a different team next year he's not probably going to average 38 and a half minutes a game down there so he's going to have less shots he's going to have less minutes to get those points in his point production is probably going to go down if somebody played 22 minutes and i don't have the stats in front of me to see what Boyles played but we also brought in that other guard swing man from uh earlier it was in april when mm -hmm. when he came in uh he wasn't playing 30 minutes a game. He wasn't playing 15. I think he was only playing two minutes a game. Right. So it's, it's hard to score 12 in two minutes, you know, and if he was getting Boyles was getting 13 and he was playing 30 minutes, if he plays closer to 40, which is traditionally what Danny has been doing with his guards, he could have a 25% uptick in his scoring. That's he true. could have that anyway, just being in a better program fit for his game. Yeah, being so, surrounded by better athletes that fit this system. You're yeah. right. You could see you could see one of the this situation kind of being the sum is greater than the parts type right. deal. Mm -hmm. Uh but you're you're right. You know, that's why I'm 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 gonna pump the brakes a little bit. You know, it's yeah. just certain knee-jerk reaction things are like, well, you know, Russ, Russ has talked about this before, but you know, we're kind of moving in the opposite direction with that. Yeah. So it just makes you think, but I've got the, I got the school. It was Maryland Eastern shore is Ooh. where um, Boyles is coming from. He's originally from Cape Charles, Virginia, by the way, but uh, just 20 games in, in last season. So I don't know if he was dinged up a little bit or whatever that was, but you know, we play quite a few more than 20 games in a season, but he only got 20 games last year. Uh, just something to, also take into consideration when you're eyeing these point totals, you know, mm -hmm. you like might've got uh, cut short right when you're hitting your stride type deal. So we'll see how it is. Yeah. Uh, as for me, uh, I think anything is how players as a team mesh and that rotation that you're going to have for starters, subs, when a sub comes in, is the team going to drop off or will they, you know, sometimes get better because it changes their defense or the way that they're pressing or whatever. So I think this is something that we can't really have a big reaction to until we see them play in some scrimmages in those early games of the season to just see how everybody plays together. Yeah, You're going to have, this is now the third transfer we've brought in uh, on the off season. And uh, 
I think that uh, it's going to be something to watch for. I mean, way too early. I see a lot of people writing the team off just because Andy's gone and uh, Han Lockton's gone and Tavion graduated. But 60% of your starters leaving is never good. But, you know, we replaced, what, 40% last year. Mm -hmm. And that worked out pretty well. Yeah, I mean, don't forget, Cam Kerfman's still on the roster. You got some yep. guys that play really well. Jacob Connor plays well. Wyatt yep. Fricks plays, plays well. So these guys are just going to have an opportunity to have a bigger role in this system. And, and Oban is back again. So mm -hmm. let's see how it goes, right? But look, hey, one basketball note that we can talk about that's not necessarily herd related but I saw yesterday that uh, Louisiana big man Jordan Brown's back in the portal. So, yeah. You know, the, the portal giveth and the portal taketh away, guys. It's not just the herd. So yeah. that guy was in, back out, and now he's in again. So what a what a tumultuous situation down there in uh, Louisiana for the Cajuns basketball team. But anyway. All right, moving on, we have some notes here about uh, men's soccer. Takahiro Fujita also signed. You know, we went over that uh, class. I do not believe he was he in not. that. This is a late addition. So we have 14 now. Was that 13 that we had last week that yeah, we went either, over? Yeah, it was either 13 going to 14 or 14 going to 15. Yeah, I think it might be 14 going to 15. But anyway, um, Grassy just seems to always be bringing people in. And I, it, it seems like a melting pot of not just nationalities, but from – different levels of play. Like some are coming in as, uh, you know, freshman transfers from other colleges. Some are coming in and have been playing overseas. It's just a, a grab bag kind of the different levels that he's bringing in, but this looks like a deep, deep team. Yeah. This is not what I'm thinking is uh, built for a, you know, a, a reload for one year. You know, right. it looks like they're building, uh, trying to build some continuity to remain at the top of the Sunbelt Conference and in the NCAA picture for years to come. You know, I think we've uh, we've kind of put to bed the fact that Chris Grassy likes it at Marshall. He's he's being uh, paid among the tops in the nation, so there's no reason to just leave and try to build something else here. So Marshall's put itself and positioned itself in a in a place to where they could be a national power for many years to come. And the roster makeup that we're seeing now, uh, particularly in this class is really alluding to that because it's, it's not just, well, let's load up with guys that are only going to be here for a year, maybe two, and then we're going to have to do it all over again. So if you're a herd soccer fan, you've got to feel good about what thing, what you're seeing, you know, out of, uh, out of that program. And, and if you're just a casual fan, like I'm just a casual fan, still trying to learn. But I can I can obviously look at freshman, junior, senior, sophomore stuff and go, okay, well, this isn't a one-year deal. You know, I can, I can at least do that. So I like what we're doing. And it's nice to know that we're building towards the future while also remaining extremely competitive in the present. By the way, these last, uh, well, this, this, team here that we were talking about, but also uh, we talked a little bit about uh, women's basketball in the five things. Both of those are currently we are trying to find someone to write on those teams, as we talked about at the start of this show. So yeah. if, if you are someone that knows all the ins and outs on soccer and you do watch all these games, 
why don't you write about it to your fellow herd fans? Give us a DM and we'll see if we can't make that happen. Yeah. Final thing that I have for around the herd uh, over in football, linebacker Jonathan Perkins came over from uh, a JUCO in uh, LA, but uh, previously he was a four star, I think, at Oklahoma. Yeah, he's uh, the rich get richer, right? This this herd defense just keeps adding weapons, keeps adding pieces. Uh, this is uh, the latest is linebacker Jonathan Perkins, like you mentioned, from Fontana, California, comes to the herd from the University of Oklahoma by way of East Los Angeles College. Uh, six foot two, 220 pounder, racked up 63 tackles in just nine games in 2022. So, hey, seven tackles a game. I think you'll take that from a, a uh, what do you want to, from a, from a linebacker who, doesn't have to be the guy because we have several the guys here in Huntington that are uh, already performing at a high level. I don't know, you know, really how they'll fit into the rotation. We'll have to get into all that as we get into summer session and what the two deep starts to look like and where guys are starting to fall. Uh, but more pieces, I'll take it, right? This defense continues to look scarier and scarier. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that as we get into the uh, coaching breakdown, but keep them coming, keep them coming. You know, I talked to Huff uh, not too long ago for the Thunder Trust uh, on their latest uh, podcast. And um, I asked him flat out, are we done? And he said, no, we're never done. You know, so this just goes to show you like they, this, this coaching staff doesn't sleep. If there's an opportunity to grab a player that they can utilize, they're going to go get them period. So another piece to the puzzle if you're a herd fan, if you're a fan of herd defense, Jiminy Christmas, you're it's like Christmas every day. <laughs> this this <laughs> defense week. is looking scary, and we're talking about a defense that lost several key players. But on paper, it's looking like this might be deeper and better than than last year, and that's uh, that's a big, big, uh, big say, I guess to say. I, that. Yeah, because you're talking about a top ten. Yeah, you know, in total defense unit from a year ago, and to say, well, they could be deeper. Well, they could be. Who knows? Yeah. You know, it's, there's some big, big pieces that have to be replaced and uh, augmented, but there are some big, big pieces that also return, folks. And we're going to talk about some of them here in a minute. So uh, that's all you got for around the herd. That's Let's uh, switch it up a little bit. Let's talk about the first segment in the series or the first series first in the series of the 2023 position groups and we're going to start with the coaching staff like we always do we had a little bit of shake up here not a whole lot but some and we're going to talk about uh well all 11 of them i think uh two departures from the staff from a year ago russ two new coaches added to the staff this year and one position group change or yeah one change in position groups that really occurred last season but it's still one position group change. So the two departures from the staff, of course, defensive coordinator Lance Guidry is gone, headed to Tulane, and now left Tulane and is at the University of Miami. And offensive line coach Eddie Morrissey, but that happened after the second week of the season last year, so that's super old news. But still, on staff last year, not on staff this year. Two new coaches come over for 2023, a new defensive coordinator, in uh, Jason Seymour and a new tight end coach, Derek Shea. The one position group change, of course, was Bill Legg, who was the tight end coach early on in 2022 and then switched to the offensive line once Morrissey 
departed the staff. So other than that, everybody else is the same. There are some interesting notes that we can talk about, but let's just kind of run down everybody, okay? Give you an opportunity to talk about each one of these guys if you want to as we go. If not, we'll just move on to the next. Of course, you're starting with the head football coach, Charles Huff, entering his third season for the Herd, a 16-10 and 10 overall record, which if you think, well, that really doesn't blow me away. I really hadn't considered that it was a 16 and 10 record, honestly. Uh, one and one in bowl games. What I did know and what I do try to hang my hat on is that it's plus two wins from year one to year two. So we're definitely trending in the right direction. If we can keep that trend up and go plus one or plus two or more wins in 2023, you're looking at a 10 win minimum. Marshall Thundering Herd. Zero conference championship game appearances, though we have famously talked about it, Russ. One bad quarter against Coastal Carolina, and Marshall's playing in the SBC championship game. So, quick notes, quick news, whatever you got real fast on Charles Huff as he enters his third season as the head man for the Herd. You listen to the man talk, people want to run through a wall for him. It's probably why they also uh, think that he's such a great recruiter. He is, but uh, he does not promise that, hey, you come here, we're just going to hand it to you. He wants people that will work. He tells that in everything that you hear him talk about. People are going to come here and work. And he also uh, wants to get a certain type of player. And I have famously talked on here about size, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Character. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hear a whole lot about uh, we had this problem, that problem, so-and-so had to be kicked off the team. I think you'll have a little bit of that everywhere, every year, but he seems to be bringing in people that really, really, really do what they're supposed to be doing. And that article about him from month, two months ago that discussed how the players were even saying, hey, things changed when he came here. Yeah. So. I just, I see a leader, I see a recruiter, I see a guy that uh, uh, is on the rise, 16 and 10, that's still a 615 uh, uh, winning percentage, and I think a lot of people would be happy with a 615 winning percentage across the country. Well, some across the country would be, right? But we know at Marshall, we're not. Right. And that's not, it's not unfair. So we expect to win. We expect to play for championships. And sadly, the younger generation of fan hasn't experienced it the way that we have. And, and even those fans that are slightly older than we are experienced it. They were used to playing in conference championships or in the, in the one double a playoffs annually and not just Mm -hmm. going and getting bounced, like going to the championship game and either winning or losing. We Mm -hmm we're accustomed to going to bowl games annually. And we're not talking about when your conference has five bowl tie-ins. We're talking about the Mac that had one bowl tie-in. So if 1999, the Marshalls, Marshalls 12 and whatever, or 11 and oh, and they lose against Western Michigan, if they lose that game, they're a one loss team that's setting home because the Mac had one tie-in. So you had to win to go. And mm-hmm. sadly we went through a rough patch there it, that kind of coincided with the start of the conference USA era. And we haven't been able to fully get back to that. And now the landscape and the way things are 
have just changed in college football. It's almost impossible for any team to attain, attain that level of success again. But we're still going to strive for it because we still expect it. You know, I still expect every season to go in and compete for a now Sunbelt Conference Championship. And if I don't make it there, then I'm disappointed, right? And mm -hmm. I think all herd fans are. But I'm not saying, all right, well, we didn't make it for four years. Now it's time to fire the coach. That's not what I'm saying. But the expectation is ever present. And now you can't even say, well, Huff can't win the big one. Hello, he went to South Bend, Indiana and won the second biggest victory, you know, in herd program history, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinion. So it's it's building steps, right? And every year it's it's been something new. And I'm not making excuses. This is just what it is. Year one, Coach Huff's in the Conference USA, right? Year two, we changed conferences. Now we're in the Sunbelt Conference with a roster that is still kind of sort of built for competing in the Conference USA. Uh, in year two, you lose your RB1 going into week one, and you're faced with a whole different type of adversity. Luckily, you find the gym that is Kalen LeBourne and that goes out and becomes the 10th leading rusher in the nation. So you can't totally fault a 16 and 10 record, right? There are games that slipped away. They did. You go, you got to, you got to go to Bowling Green and beat Bowling Green after you beat Notre Dame. You have to do that. And it didn't happen. So there've been some letdowns. There've been some bad luck. There's a little bit of everything. Uh, but, you know, constantly comparing every coach that we ever get to Bob Pruitt is not a way to go through life because the game is not the same anymore. It is it is not the same. Uh, the thing I really like about Coach Huff is that he has been really gracious with us, and when we ask him things, he answers. He doesn't shy away from things. He's like, don't ask me that stuff. You know, He's like, I don't care. You can ask me anything. And he's honest with you. Mm -hmm. you know. And I, and I think that, that really resonates with a lot of fans. Yes, I want to see us get to a Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Yes, I want to see us win a Sunbelt Conference Championship Yes, I want to see us continue to go to bowl games and win those. We finally crossed that hurdle last year, right? So now it's up from here. What's the next thing? Next thing is the championship game, then a bowl game. Then you push ever closer to that elusive college football playoff that will be expanding. But for right now, in year three, I think you got to like where you are a lot. A lot of the things you got to like where you are with Charles Huff. Some things you could always change and want to be better. You think he doesn't want to win every game? <laughs> I mean, gee, many Christmas. But – I think we're in a good spot right now, and I'm really glad that he's our head coach. And you're right. We we run a clean program. Um, guys are doing things the right way, and we're seeing successes play, successes play out on the field. So, Next, Russ, offensive coordinator slash quarterbacks coach, Clint Trickett, entering his second season as the Herd OC and quarterbacks coach. Uh, this will be the first time, though, in Clint's – tenure as OC that he will have an incumbent quarterback that knows his system, right? Last year it was split duty between Columbia and Cam Fancher. This year, eh, like you heard coach say it, if we had to play tomorrow, Cam's likely our guy, right? Now we can't, we can speculate that on forever, but we're just going to assume that Cam's the starter. That's, that's what we're going to do. Uh, so this is the first time that, that he's had a full off season, spring season, and what will be a summer session, provided Cam stays healthy, with a quarterback that he has worked with before, knows his terminology, and he has uh, developed for the herd. The herd offense averaged 24.6 points per game last year, uh, 22 and a half with Cam Fancher as the starter. But here's the caveat to that. If you take away that 55-point beatdown of Norfolk State in, in week one, 
The Hurt only averaged 21 points a game with uh, Henry Columbia as quarterback up until they made the switch. So we did see an uptick in points per game with Fancher as the starter. But look, that number 22 and a half, that ain't going to cut it, Chief, in the Sun Belt. So we're going to definitely need to see that um, tick up closer to that 30 point per game plateau if you're going to want to hope to have a legit shot in every game. What do you got for thoughts on Clint Trickett? What do you like about Clint and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff? Wasn't just the um, not having an incumbent uh, quarterback for me last year. It was losing Rasheen Ali, so your entire game plan goes out the the window. Yes, they had Labron that they put right into that slot, but they as good as the two of them are, they are still different in a lot of ways. And having Rasheen healthy was also going to mean that they were going to have Rasheen and Labron play. Yeah. And I think that was a major part. We talked about it here on, I've, I've talked about it on the show all the time. They planned on having both of them, that when Ali was out, Labron could go in. When uh, Labron was uh, uh, running after a series or had a long run, boom, just put Ali back in, you know, switch the two of them out. Uh, put them both in at the same time. You know, I think that that was the big game plan and they did not, think that they were going to have to have anything more than a game manager as a quarterback uh, to allow someone with some experience to come in. So Clint had that. It wasn't just Marshall. It was Clint's offense and his game plan that you had to say, okay, now we're going to have to do something totally different. We did Mm -hmm. not expect. And then with Fancher, Coach uh, Huff said it on here. You know, you got a guy that it was his freshman season. Can you give him, you know, he's on level three. Can you give him and expose him to five, six, seven, and eight? Or do you need to make sure that he's good where he's at at three? So I think that this year we're going to see the offense open up. I think we're going to see, barring injury uh, of any kind of catastrophic things, we're going to see what would have truly been our game plan for last year. And I think that we see a lot more points. I don't even think you can accurately say – well, what we saw in the Myrtle Beach Bowl was what we had hoped to see because mm-hmm. I don't even think that's accurate. You talk, We talked about with Coach, he talked about Fancher having back spasms and could barely get around, you know, yeah. and it was painful for him to try to pass and all that kind of stuff. So you, that's not even what the offense right. would have looked like with a healthy Ollie and a healthy Labor. And again, you are right. Ollie and Labor are just totally different animals. They both run extremely well. But the added benefit to Rasheen Ali is a the elusiveness and b the catch of the uh, receiving ability out of the backfield just changes the game, right? Yeah. So that could be more of what we get to see this year. I, and while we may open it up a little bit more, Marshall's not going to become an air raid offense, folks. No. I don't know if you think that's going to happen. It ain't going to happen. No. Right? This team is built to run the football. This is built. They're built on the quick pass and moving the chains and uh, great blocking and stellar defense. Mm-hmm. And that may not like get your blood flowing. You might not see 50-point games. But if you don't get excited about winning, you know, 31 to 24 and going 10 and 3 or whatever <laughs> through 13 games, I don't know what to tell you. I think I would take that. It's all about the wins and the losses, right? And style points matter to a degree, but I don't think they matter this particular year right? Because this is not a playoff push type year. The 
the year the the expansion of the playoff has not taken place yet so it's about the next step and the next step like i said when talking about huff is conference championship what can get us to a conference championship and win that conference championship and you know the better your defense is the you don't have to have that high octane offense yeah. i want it i always want the high octane offense i want to win 40 to 10 every game but you know if you're winning 29 to 3 that's still a very good game yeah uh so well that's 40 to 10 basically <laughs> yeah so i'm uh i'm really thinking we'll see a, a higher production level but definitely closer to 30 mark i don't think we're going to bounce up to 40 if we do no i will gladly be wrong no I, I can't see that you just have to edge towards 30 that's kind of the number you draw a circle around to go you know if we can get to 30 we can win every game that's that's just kind of what you think right 20 you're not going to win every game 30 you're like we can win especially with a defense like marshall might feel but anyway um 40 i don't you might see that once or twice you know, defensive turnovers for touchdowns, special teams turnovers, but that's not going to be 40 offensive points scored game in and game out. That's just not the way we're built. It doesn't seem like. A defensive coordinator, Russ, first year defensive coordinator for the Herd, Jason Seymour, hired from Georgia Tech last year where he served as linebackers coach, also served as the defensive coordinator of Division II Valdosta State in 2021 where they made a national championship game appearance uh, losing to Ferris State, which Ferris State just must have been an absolute freaking machine because I was looking at some of those uh, point totals and they were just obliterating everyone. Uh, he does inherit an absolutely stacked defense that was ranked number eight in the country in total defense in 2022. Some huge departures are gone. Some huge names return. They really raised some eyebrows with us in the transfer portal and through recruiting. So. Uh, we'll talk about some of those individual players when we talk about individual position groups and these coaches here in a minute. But uh, thoughts on what we really – we don't really know much about Coach Seymour right now. Uh, but thoughts about uh, the new defensive coordinator in town. I'm just going to echo one thing that uh, Coach Huff said was that it's going to be different, but it's going to be a good different. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. Um, he said that – He's going to make pizza, same as Coach Gittery made pizza. It just might taste a little bit different, but he's still in the pizza-making business. I like that analogy, and uh, I think that his uh, experience at a championship level is what I really like. Um, until we get to know more about what his scheme is going to be, actually seeing game in, game out, um, you know, how often is he going to blitz? Is he going to be in the cover two? Whatever it's going to be, you know, I, but I think that we're going to see roughly the same, just based on Coach Huff's uh, comments, roughly the same scheme that we had under Gidry. But really, I mean, jury's out until we can see it. Yeah. Now, listen, I can remember, famously remember, people in uh, on social media I don't think they were tagging this our, our Thundercast account because I don't I'm not sure if if we had it at that point. We might have, I don't know, but I famously remember people tagging me, not herd fans, literally laughing because Huff hired Lance Gidry. 
and they were and they were like, "This is going to be hilarious. You guys aren't going to be able to stop anybody." Well, um, that we saw was egregiously wrong, right? You don't go from a laugh, ha ha, laughable hire to being the number eight defense in the country and not be flat wrong. So I trust the judgment of one head football coach, Charles Huff, to identify talent for what he wants to do. This is not a situation, it seems to me, where he went out and found just a coach that he liked, and now Marshall's going to turn the whole defense upside down to uh, fit to what this coach does. It looks like he went and found a coach that coaches similarly to what we want to do here so that he can just adapt his style to what we're already doing and have strength, like the, the areas that we are really strong. That is an ace move. Right. You don't want to upset the apple cart. You you're this is a this is what we're hanging our hat on right now. The run game and the defense. That's that's it. So you you can't take that vastly productive unit, that whole side of the ball, and just throw it up in the air and go, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So while we don't know much about him, I feel confident saying that the style that we're going to play is similar to what we have seen. It's just tweaked a little bit with uh, Coach Seymour's signature sauce, right? It, it's it's his defense now. This is not Gidry's defense, but there's yeah. nobody else's. Nobody else on the defensive side of the ball has changed. So the continuity that I talked about earlier with uh, Jenna Burnett and the women's basketball program, the continuity is there, man. It is still there as long as Ralph Street is, uh, is uh, taking ownership of the defensive line. Shannon Morrison's taking ownership of the linebackers. You got Chevis Jackson on the back end. The continuity amongst that unit is there. So this this man has walked into, into a tremendously good situation, and now we'll see if we can just trot out one of the most feared defenses again in 2023. Russ, let's talk about their first actual position group, running backs, right? We run, we're going to hang our hat on it. We might as well talk about Telly Lockett. He's entering his third season uh, with the herd on from her from Huff's inaugural staff, most of these guys, a lot of these guys are still around from Huff's, Huff's inaugural staff. Uh, Telly also serves as the run game coordinator for the herd. And let me just tell you if you think this is effective coaching or not. 2020, 2021, Rashina Ali racks up 1,401 yards, 23 touchdowns, which led the, the NCAA in touchdowns. Then, oh, by the way, 2022, Kalen LeBourne comes in as a relative unknown to herd fans and racks up 1,513 yards and 16 touchdowns, which is good for 10th in the NCAA in yards, and led the Sunbelt Conference in both categories. Ali returns, Ethan Payne returns, A.J. Turner returns, and he showed flashes last year. There are several younger guys that are going to get some opportunities to get in the mix. I don't know. What do you think about Telly Lockett? Looks to me like he just churns out production from his room. I think, uh, well, what I've heard from someone that was with him at a previous school talk just glowing about him, and I don't think that it's any coincidence that we have the running back production that we have. I think this is a sleeper for one of the most important aspects of the team. Uh, We always talk about how important it is in the offseason to have a strength coach uh, Mm -hmm. and, and program going because that's so underrated, you know, because they're the only ones that are going to be with them during the off season. But coach Telly Lockett, I think from recruiting, from developing the running backs, I, 
we have a good one here, and I'm glad we were able to keep him this offseason. There are a handful of our position group coaches that I set on my hands and hope, geez, don't be the one that gets hired away this year. And Telly Lockett is one of those guys. I cannot yeah. believe that he is still in Huntington. Uh, that makes me extremely happy. Not only a great coach, but he's a great recruiter and a great guy, right? Yeah. A great guy. Well known in the state of Florida with uh, stops at Florida State and then the high school ranks down there. So those connections are as we know, oh, so important. Uh, to So to keep him in Huntington for another year is, I don't know what kind of coup we got going on, but I'm glad it's going on because I like Telly Lockett on our sideline. I like him working with our running backs. And, I mean, two straight 1,400-plus-yard rushers, not just 1,000-yard rushers, 1,400-plus-yard rushers, and Rasheen Ali back healthy, Boy, oh boy, this could be something special for the herd again in 2023. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball and talk about a guy we were just talking about, at least I was just talking about, Ralph Street, third season with the herd. Uh, 2022, let's talk about a little bit of what this herd defense did, right? Number one in the country in third down defense with a 23.5% conversion rate uh, for opponents. Number four ranked rush defense, allowing just 93 yards a game. The number six scoring defense and the number seven in total defense, which I mentioned uh, with Coach Seymour earlier. Ralph Street, man, heard all-timer, absolute legend. And if there is any question that this guy has – I think he knows all the tricks in the book when it comes to <laughs> coaching defensive line because it's been – one of those um, marquee positions, defensive linemen, defensive tackles, and defensive ends have just been stellar the last three years. And they were great before that, right? They were great under J.C. Price. But we saw no, absolutely no drop-off in production from a coaching change from a guy like J.C. Price to Ralph Street. Uh, just further cementing his all-time status at Marshall, Coach Ralph Street. What do you got? The same that I had for Telly Lockett on offense, I have for Ralph Street on defense. And I think that, uh, again, the level of player that we get to play for Ralph Street is much bigger than what we had. We no longer have, hey, let's take the defensive ends and move them in to be down linemen and bring in li outside linebackers and make them defensive ends and bring safeties up to be those. We're not playing that smaller, faster thing we've still got the speed but man we've got some six four three oh five you know we've got some <laughs> nose tackles in here that that we're going to dominate that line of scrimmage mm -hmm. and uh most of the time that's what we do on defense uh all the praise for ralph street and and what he does he's a great guy great personality and uh the the level of play that we get out of out of the defensive line, man, with the sacks, the QB hurries, just pushing around the offensive line, shutting down the run game. Mm -hmm. You know, they, it used to be one of the major issues that we had, and it was because we didn't have the big guys to stop the run, get that penetration up the middle. People seemed like they could push us around, and I'm talking a few years back, but push us around and run and get three, four yards whenever they needed it. And that's no longer the case. And this, I think, starts that great uh, defense that we have is right up front. Yeah. You, you, we've talked about guys 
that uh, from basketball standpoint that, you know, you look at their stats and you don't know, well, okay, how's it going to work out here? Well, I think defensive line is one of those areas where we do that here. You're like, well, we brought in Anthony Watts last year from Purdue and he didn't really have a lot of stats and he was a great uh, situational rotational player for us. Gibson, Isaiah Gibson comes over from UK. Same kind of story. Sophomore guy didn't have very many stats. He came, you saw the weapon that he became for the herd last year, and he is back again along this herd defensive line. Let's talk about some of the the guys that return, right? Of course, Owen Porter's returning. Anytime you have a guy like Owen Porter, your defensive line is gonna be strong. Uh, Sam Burton's back. Taquez Legs is back. I mentioned Isaiah Gibson. He's back. Elijah Alston is back. And then you look for transfers and younger guys that were here last year to take a step forward to uh, bolster the depth along this offensive line. And primarily, I'm looking at some of those guys that we just got, what, two weeks ago? It seemed like we recruited an entire defensive line when we did like a, a portal update episode. And uh, famously in the green and white game this week, this year, um, Elijah Russell flashed for a lot of people. And you're talking about a six foot seven sophomore. He's either redshirt freshman or a sophomore. That's the young type guys that are looking to make a leap this year. If there is another position group that mirrors the personality and, and type of their coach more than Ralph street and this defensive line, I'd like to know who it is because they play give the words violent and disruptive, just like Ralph street used to play for the herd. He teaches that he coaches that he, I mean, they he just eats it up. Right. And you see this come through in his players and out of his room. Ralph street's a star. You know, he came to us kind of like we talked about Megan going home. Marshall called, he was a defensive coordinator at Florida A&M. I believe it was. And, Marshall called, Coach Huff called, said, hey, you want to come home? And here he is, right? And he's doing big-time things for the herd once again. He used to do it on the field. Now he's doing it on the sidelines. Uh, herd fans, I know, just you just can't get enough of Ralph Street. He's just, he's just a cool dude, man. He's just a cool dude. Um, let's talk about wide receivers. Wide receivers, Coach uh, Jovan Bonike in his second season, also serves as the passing game coordinator for the herd. He's done a pretty good job, Russ, of developing the young talent. We saw uh, Charles Montgomery make some big-time flashes in 2022. Some of those younger wide receivers, a uh, couple of them hit the portal and were gone, are gone this year. The room did take a hit. Corey, Han Corey Gamage is, is gone. Shadita Med's gone. And, of course, E.J. Horton, who was a guy we thought was going to make some noise, also gone. Uh, Talit Keaton, though, back, healthy. Uh, Caleb McMillan, senior now, provides a, a whole different type of leadership uh, and some production, big playability. We saw some big play from him in uh, the Bowling Green game. And Jaden Harrison returns, which we could see Jaden double dip on the special team side of things. We'll see. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're looking at young guys, and we're looking at some transfers that are going to have to push this room for real depth. We know what Talit Keaton is, we know what Talit Keaton does, and we know how electric he can be. We're really happy with the development of Charles Montgomery and guys like Caleb Coombs, McMillan, and Harrison. But kind of after that, you have to see what you got. So what are your thoughts on uh, Coach Bonite? There are some – I didn't mention the transfers that we got coming over, you know, but, uh, you know, you can talk about that if you want. Well, so this is the one position in football uh, from a – uh, position group standpoint 
along with the tight ends. But it's hard to be productive if the ball is not thrown to you. And it's hard to be productive if it's not thrown to you in a good way that you can get good yards after catch or, you know, just being open doesn't sometimes cut it. You still have to have it thrown to you. Uh, We struggled passing last year a lot. And then we had a switch in how we were doing things, brought in Fancher to, to be, and things seemed to open up more. We weren't throwing as many balls just at the line of scrimmage or even three yards behind the line of scrimmage. So I'm really looking forward to the same way that we're going to open it up a little bit, I believe, with uh, Clint's offense, what this wide receiver room can actually do. I think we had talent there last year. I think we can always upgrade that talent. But I feel like we didn't get to see what Coach Bonite's receivers were capable of doing. And I think that we'll really learn a lot more about him this year. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, But still, even if you're not getting the opportunities there, from what you're seeing from a developmental standpoint, the route running, the leverages, all those little techniques to get yourself open, we saw that. We, We saw an improvement in that type of stuff. And uh, if this couples along with the further development of Cam Fancher and what we think will be a little bit more of a downfield passing game at times, you're right. We might see some guys make some big numbers here. But famously, we've got a couple of transfers coming in, uh, one from University of Kentucky and then McNeese State are the two that really get on the radar for most folks. And uh, we'll just have to see what this offense looks like. Let's head over to the defensive side of the ball again. We're going back and forth here. Let's talk about Shannon Morrison, one of the all-timers for the Herd, just like Ralph Street. Third season uh, with the Herd. Also the assistant head coach for Charles Huff. There is absolutely no question that Shannon Morrison gets the absolute most out of his players. Right, We've seen Abe Beauplan have tremendously productive years across two different conferences under the tutelage of Shannon Morrison. We saw Eli Neal have two vastly productive seasons in two different conferences under Shannon Morrison. But those – Abe Bopin is now gone, right? Eli returns. Uh, we've got a, a couple of other guys that are returning, guys like J.C. Anderson, which Coach talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the production outside of those two guys – it's going to have to heavily rely on some transfers and the further development of some of those um, high school recruits that were in the program last year. Um, I guess we're famously looking at Ty McBright as one of those transfers, Kashawn Brown, who came over from App State, and uh, Mark Viacic, who's I think he came from Southeastern University will be keys to some of that substantial play that we're accustomed to seeing in uh, from her defenses from a linebacker standpoint. But, you know, there are some young young players. Coach mentioned Leon Hart, Leon Hart, who we were excited about in the recruiting class last year, and Andrew Morris, uh, one of those workhorse-type dudes that has made a stride. We'll see how everything kind of irons out on the two deep. But this room is by no means bare. But losing a lay and an, a weapon like a Bowplan is just not that usually easily replaced. Luckily, Eli Neal returns. And if you're not a big fan of Eli Neal, you're just not a big fan of good linebacker play. So what do you got for Coach Shannon Morrison? 
So last year, um, I stated that he had been rumored to be up for defensive coordinator in years past or head coach in years past. And you got a lot of uh, fire and ice from the, the fan base online. It's like, oh, no, not bringing him back. But none of it was about him, the person. It was the time of that part in his career to be at that level, mm-hmm. to be a head coach or whatever. I have not heard anybody say anything bad about what coach Morrison brings. And I've spoken to the man you've spoken to the man, great dude. Uh, just a great addition. We had a great linebacker room last year and I see it. Honestly, I see it going up this year. That that's uh, more from when we're doing that position breakdown to, to say why, Mm -hmm. but I think what you get with him is a good level of consistency from year to year. And uh, he's an energetic, one of those good dudes like Ralph street that is just energetic in his room, like really buys into what he says. A couple of things stick out for me to about coach Morrison. Number one, he's a straight shooter mm-hmm. and he doesn't really hold anything back. So if you're looking for an honest answer, he's going to give it to you, even if you don't like the answer. So I can respect that. Right. Because I don't want to be fed some bull crap that that proves to not be true. Uh, he's a fairly intense guy. And I think you kind of have to be that way if you're a linebackers coach. Right. Because of the physicality that goes into that position and what you are asked and tasked to do at times, you just kind of have to have a different outlook and a different approach. And I like that. But uh, but along with all those personality traits, he has always been um, somebody that I didn't feel intimidated to talk to. It's just, I just had to be prepared for whatever the answer might be. Right. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. He is the linebackers coach. I think he fits that to a T, especially fits it to a T here at Marshall where he starred and played and knows what it means to have to perform at a high level in front of a Jonesy Edwards Stadium crowd, right? So that little aspect to me uh, kind of drives it home that that not only is he a great coach and a, and a great developer of talent and a great game planner and a great everything you need in a coach, he just freaking gets it. You know, he gets it, what it means here at Marshall. That just can't be understated enough. He and Ralph, uh, they, they just get it and – I think that goes a long way as to why we see this defense play the way this defense often does, you know. Um, new coach to the staff this year, Russ, tight ends coach Derek Shea. Hired from Missouri where he was the offensive quality control analyst back in March of 23. He also worked in an off-field staff role at LSU where he focused primarily on the tight end. So this was not a shot in the dark you know, uh, he has experience working with tight ends at in the at the SSSEC level. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he, I don't know what we're going to look like at tight end. We've made so many jokes about how many there are on the roster and how they're going to fit in and what we're going to look like. Um, but what I can tell you is we do know that shorthanded tight end Devin Miller has graduated and has departed. Toby Payne will return along with uh, Ramad Smith and Sean Salas who we're really excited about, um, and a plethora of transfers that have entered into the mix. 
I mean, I kept trying to come up with an adjective and I hate using the same old ones, but really curious and intrigued is is where I am with this room based on the sheer number of tight ends that are on the roster mm -hmm. and how they'll and how they'll be utilized in the in the Clint Trickett offense this year. So thoughts on Derek Shea. Yeah, so he's another one of those guys uh, that we're going to have to kind of see because he's brand new, uh, you know, kind of see what he brings to the table. Um, love everything about him so far, the interactions on uh, Twitter and brief face-to-face. Yeah. Uh, -face. Uh, yeah. But the, uh, the room had six returning. I'm looking right now, six from last year that's returning. And that's if there's no position changes. And then you've got three, I think that we brought in maybe two, but we're definitely up to eight or nine tight ends on the roster. I just, how he manages that, what we get out of these tight ends. Again, it's a position that you have to get the ball thrown to you. You can still make an impact in blocking and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's going to be very, very interesting yeah. to see how we do this because we've got so many different types of tight ends. We've got the big body tight end. That's basically an extra offensive tackle. We've got the uh, tall yet very fast matchup nightmare. Uh, we've got the all around guy that can do a little bit of everything and we've got everything in between. So it's going to be interesting, but right now I just have to see more out of Derek Shea in a, you know, same with Seymour is what's it going to look like after seeing a few games? Yeah. And of course you're probably going to see some of these tight ends on special teams. And mm -hmm. I don't think it hurts to have big dudes that can run to play special teams. So mm -hmm. eight on the roster, you don't, if that number stays <clears throat> at eight or nine or whatever it is, don't count on seeing eight tight ends, you know, actually, play consistently uh mm -hmm. I, I just can't fathom that happening but i'm with you uh in in <clears throat> brief interactions with coach shay i um uh, i i get the feeling that uh he he is uh, appreciative and respectful of the opportunity that's in front of him at marshall he understands the uh the expectation here for the herd and you know these guys aren't amateurs man they're pros like they're they're professional coaches so you you don't go into a situation and like I said before and just go well I'll see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So, but it's still you think it takes a little bit of time to for people to grasp and understand like okay we say it's special at Marshall we're biased because we're Marshall alums but even outsiders that didn't go here come here and go it is a little bit different there it is a little bit special there and I feel like Coach Huff does a great job at bringing in whoever he decides to bring in, they understand that kind of like day one. You know what I mean? So while this is a, a um, I don't know, work in progress, let's call it, because we don't know what this whole room's going to look like and how it's going to shake out, I like uh, this young coach here that's, that's uh, really relatable to this room of guys and, and is doing a, obviously doing a really good job in the recruiting standpoint or else how do you get – Eight guys. How do you get that eighth guy to look at you and go, well, you got seven already? Ah, hell, I'm in. Let's do it. You, know, you, you must be one hell of a recruiter to, to get that eighth yes. <laughs> um, 
a trio of other coaches we've got to get through, Russ, and then we'll wrap this episode up. Let's go to cornerbacks coach Chevis Jackson in his second season with the Herd, also serves as the Herd's co-defensive coordinator, a role that he has uh, landed just this season. Uh, comes to Marshall from the University of Kansas a couple of years ago. I think Chevis Jackson's development of the Herd corners over the past couple of seasons or last season was really, really apparent, man. Um, I, I know we he got to build off of a really good foundation that was put in place uh, the year previous, but you can't question the play of Stephen Gilmore and Micah Abraham in particularly, not to mention the rest of these young guys, but Gilmore and Abraham finished in the top 50 <clears throat> nationally in interceptions. Both of them had interceptions on Marshall's biggest stage last year against Notre Dame and South Bend. Gilmore graduated, and a few others transferred out, but Mike Abraham returns, who is a he's, – he's starting to gather some big accolades from a national standpoint. Jadarius Green McKnight returns, as does Daytuan Smith, Carrion Martin, and Jacoby Henderson, a guy that we were really high on in the spring last year. Instant impact transfers J.J. Roberts, who the Coach Huff talked about, and then a couple of big-time SEC guys and a big – well, not SEC. I guess they're about to be SEC since Texas is going to the SEC. Uh, but Josh Moten and uh, Ishmael Ibrahim come over to make this herd secondary look pretty formidable on paper once again. What do you got about Coach Chevis Jackson? We're absolutely blessed to have him here. NFL experience, big time uh, college player and program experience. Uh, technique is one of those things uh, as a defensive back, I think, that goes a long, long way. You know, speed, obviously, height, obviously, jumping ability, uh, natural instincts, reads, all those things are highly important. But if you have the fundamentals down and if you made it to the NFL, you should know your fundamentals as defensive back. I think that we're absolutely blessed to have him here. Uh, famously, as you used to sit with me in the stands, uh, you would know that I did not care for when routine burns happened to the same player <laughs> and they would get a nickname, you know, or yeah. something. And uh, we don't have that anymore. Yeah. We have consistent play. We have, if someone gets beat, it's an anomaly, you know, or if someone gets beat, it's like Coach Huff said in the Bowling Green game that they were playing out of position uh, to the type of coverage that they would normally be playing all because of an injury that had happened, somebody mm -hmm. being banged up. Uh, it is not routine that our defensive backs give up big yards or give up big plays, give up big catches. Uh, it's it's the norm for it to be the other way around. Lots yeah. of pass deflections, interceptions, uh, people not even being thrown to on that side of the field because of who's over there. It's things that you don't see in the stat books. Yeah. And, and I think that comes from Coach Jackson. This is stuff that we didn't really have a lot, a whole lot. I mean, how many years did – not just you and I sit in the stands, but fans for here we are 10 yards off the ball again. Now you're yeah. always going to have that in certain calls, right? Mm -hmm. That's just the play you're running or the defensive set you're running. But it was 
all day, every day, years ago, 10, year, 10 yards off the ball. Right? And it wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was not turning around and looking and getting the idiotic pass interference calls and getting burned even with your back to the ball. It was just – it was an adventure at times. <laughs> and you're always going to have players that – just the coverage is great, but you still make mm-hmm. a play. The, the yeah. receiver is still going to make a play because we're yeah. playing pretty good receivers too. Yeah. But I just don't think you can uh, argue the fact that our secondary play has gone down over the right. past year or two. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's going to hurt to lose Stephen Gilmore. Right. But Micah Abraham making the choice to come back is going to be really big in the development of some of these younger guys. Right. Because it's, it's, he, He's going to put some of them on the spot because, like you talked about, maybe you don't throw to Micah Abraham a lot now, mm-hmm. and it's going to force some of these younger guys to kind of grow up. So we may see a few growing pains here and there, but I really like some of the guys that are looking to make a leap this year. I think the addition of J.J. Roberts is going to be really, really big in the safety from the safety standpoint. And some of these other guys that we've brought in uh, athletically, when you look up and down this roster, you start to lick your chops a little bit and think of what – uh, Coach Jackson is going to be able to do with these guys. How are the? How is he going to refine these guys? The skill set they already have that's pretty high. How is he going to be able to refine that and make it even better for the herd? I'm not saying we're going to be better, but I don't think we're going to be worse. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm with you. I'm really glad that he's here. Anytime you have a highly high performing collegiate athlete that goes on and performs for a number of years in the at the NFL level, you know a thing or two about secondary play. Mm-hmm. All right, let's close it out. A couple more to talk about. Offensive line coach Bill Legg and seemingly his 478th stint with the Herd. Yeah. Uh, but I joke, of course, this is his third season. He also serves as the associate head coach for Coach Huff. Uh, Legg moved over from tight ends to offensive line, as we mentioned before, following the Notre Dame game and the departure of uh, offensive line coach Eddie Morrissey. Russ, you've talked about it a lot. And uh, – in the second half of the season, the hurt offensive line really seemed to kind of catch a groove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say that that's directly related to Bill Legg, but I can't say that it's not. Also, mm-hmm. we know that a quarterback change had a had a great deal to do with that, and mm-hmm. the different uh, skills that the two quarterbacks had played a lot into that. Took some of the pressures off of those guys a little bit, and they were just able to find a better groove. Um, Fancher's pocket time seemed to increase, even though uh, the skill set is different amongst those two. It seemed like uh, Henry didn't have as much time to pass as Cam did towards the middle end of the season last year. Um, Logan Osborne returns. Trent Holler returns. Ethan Driscoll returns. Dalton Tucker returns. That's four out of five on the starting line that return, minus only Cedrice Palant. Um, and and Kendrick Sartor, I guess. So let's call it four out of six. Uh, we've got some youngsters that Coach Huff has talked about that have made some um, made some body transformations. One and uh, their development has gone up quite a bit. And he's really excited about this youngster JUCO guy CK Obobi that came in in this cycle. Um, we bring in Florida State transfer offensive lineman Lloyd Willis, who personally for me is one of my top. Uh, transfers in the 2023, 2022-ish cycle, whatever you want to call it. What do you got about Bill Legg? I have famously said a lot that has been before this uh, Thundercast podcast was ever a thing. And last year I ate a whole bunch of those words. Uh, It was 
from the time that he was offensive coordinator here, I felt like it was time to move on. I had tired of the game plan and I've since learned and figured out that it wasn't all his desire to do so, Mm -hmm. uh, to call a third and 19 draw play. Uh, I think that when you look at the history of where this guy has been and the offenses that have thrived while he has been an offensive line coach, he's been in some very good offenses. This is a position where it's almost all technique. I mean, obviously you have to have size and strength that helps, Mm -hmm. but you can have a very good technique and help out quite a bit, but it's also the cohesiveness of how all five of the people on the field, not counting tight ends or whoever might be on there in different packages, but usually five offensive linemen playing together as a team. I think coach leg has forgotten way more than just about anybody will know about offensive line. And I also feel like we are blessed to have him here in the, different roles he's had over the years and the experiences he's had. Uh, I think that we're going to see a much improved offensive line this year. Well, I would certainly hope so. It wasn't bad last year, but it was uh, like a half and half, right? It was mm-hmm. a little rougher in the beginning and then it got better at the end. And yep. and to have a lot of those pieces returning and to be augmented with some guys that we think are instant impact players coupled with guys that were here last year that now have a full year under BA in the weight room and a full year under the tutelage of Bill Leg, getting that development that they need. We're going to see some guys that aren't on our radar right now that we will be talking about, you know, through the first third of the season about like, wow, this guy's is a really pleasant surprise, right? He's really adding something to that unit. I don't think anybody would argue with you and say that uh, of all of the position groups on a football team, the offensive line has to play the most uh, in unison Mm -hmm. because if it goes wrong, it looks horrible. But if it goes right, uh, it kind of, kind of flies under that radar because everybody else looks good, right? Your holes open up for your running backs. Your quarterback has all the time in the world to pass and all that kind of stuff. So it really only gets magnified when it looks bad, unless you're particularly looking at the offensive lineman while you're watching plays unfold. Uh, One of those unfortunate scenarios that goes along with being an offensive lineman, incredibly vital to the success or failures of a football team, but almost often always go uh, unnoticed or underappreciated. And of course we try to put the shine on those guys because it's merited, right? Yeah. Uh, this, this unit does look really promising for mm-hmm. um, 2023. Uh, and of course having a guy like Rasheen Ali running behind you is going to help make you look good because there are things that he does that are going to make a defensive line have to alter their game plan. Um, but still, the four guys that I ripped off there that are returning from the top six-ish from a year ago, uh, talking about Obobi and Lloyd Willis, and then, of course, Jalen Slappy, who the, who Coach has talked about before, is really happy with. I'm interested, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's a term I haven't used in a while, but this is, this is where that fits best, I think, is that cautious, optimistic um, adjective for this unit. Let's Let's close out this... 2023 position group coaching staff breakdown with a special teams coordinator, uh, Jonathan Galant, his second season with the herd comes over from the university of Alabama a couple of years ago, where he was a special teams analyst 
Um, 2022, the Herd managed to block a few kicks and even got themselves a blocked punt. The blocked punt course came in 75 week against Appalachian State, which I'm not sure there's a better week to have that happen. And, of course, it got returned for a touchdown as well. Uh, Talit Keaton returns along with Jaden Harrison potentially in the mix uh, with that kick returner, punt returner type role. Look for McNeese State transfer Mason Pierce to kind of stake his claim for one of those positions as well. Um, kick, and, kick returner, punt returner is always those position groups that you really have no idea where it's going to go right up really until week one. You just see who made the biggest stride up to the last minute. Um, from a specialist standpoint, Reese Verhoff and John McConnell both return for the herd, but the herd will have a brand new long snapper in 2023. Either redshirt freshman Matthew Bossett or Bowling Green transfer Dominic Kanopka will be the new long snapper for the herd. Uh, what about Coach Gallant? I felt like last year was uh, some mixed results, and I'm mm -hmm. hoping to uh, – to, to see a big improvement on this. Uh, we had some great play at times, uh, limiting returns, big yardage plays. I felt like we did great. Uh, but then we had some penalties on special teams. We had some uh, great punts at some times. And then we would have, you know, hey, what happened to the, the kicking game? So it was one of those mixed bag type deals that I feel like we're going to have to see better out of this year. But one of those little things that I will add up, even on field position, you know, uh, from punting and punt return, that is going to really help our record this year. Something yeah. that will be under the radar. But when you look back at it, you can say, we won that game largely because our special teams played, you know, at an A-minus level instead of a – a B minus low, you know. Well, the if your MO is going to be run the ball and play great defense, then field position is unbelievably important, right? Yeah. If you can keep your opponent to a long field and you're hanging your hat on defense, well, that means you can give up a play here and there, and it really doesn't hurt that much. But we saw we did see a little bit of a downturn in special teams production production from a couple of years ago when special teams coordinator was Jeremy Springer. Mm -hmm. uh, he really had those guys rolling, man. I mean, right out of the gate against Navy, we had the blocked punt, and uh, Rashina Ali took one to the house against App State, and you know. But you can't just credit. It's, it's not like like I feel confident in saying I could have been the special coordinator, special teams coordinator, and Rashina Ali could still run a kickoff back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can't credit the coach for that, but there are little things that are that are behind the scenes that we don't know about uh, that we are going to need to see kind of tick up a little bit. And the field position, I think, for me is is at the forefront of that. That kicking triad of uh, long snapper, holder, kicker, or long snapper, holder, punter is always one of those things I like to keep my eye on. And it's very much like offensive line. If it goes good, you don't notice it. But if it goes bad, it just looks really bad. So anytime you're going to be breaking in a new long snapper, which Marshall has had a tremendous history of great long snappers, uh, you perk up and you go, okay, well, let's see if that tradition continues or if this is an area of concern. So um, Galant has been really great in the recruiting trail. I see a lot all the time the guys that get offers. Um, 
they might not, they aren't specialists that, that are tagging. They are tagging him in those like offer tweets or things like that. So yeah. there's things that he's bringing to the table that are not just from a kicking, punning kickoff specialist, you know, return game type thing that are, paying dividends for the herd, but we're talking about special teams here. So we have to talk about the things that matter in a game and field position is one of those things, not leaving, not putting uh, or capitalizing on your opportunities to put points on the board. You know, we, we lost close games and uh, a field goal here and there made the difference in a game or two last year. So, you know, those are things that we have to be able to overcome um, while that vastly falls on the, on the shoulders of the player. Well, that stuff goes uphill. You're not going to fire a player. You're going to fire a coach. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that um, I think that we'll see improvement there, especially with some of those transfer weapons we talked about. Mason Pierce coming in, who was a uh, first-team All-Southland Conference special teams player. Um, and Talit Keaton back. Man, I don't think you can understate that. Talit Keaton back healthy. If, he, if he's going to uh, lend his talents to the return game again for this final go-round for the herd, then great. Uh, I'm all for it, but if he chooses that he wants to just be a wide receiver only, I understand that too. Uh, but I really like the, the opportunity to have our most electric players get the ball in their hands the most that they possibly can and to leak one of those guys. So um, intrigued, again, is uh, the word I'm going to have to use for the special teams. But I do like the job that Coach Glenn has done. Um, since he's been at, at Marshall, we're just going to need to see some more of those impact plays come across on the special teams. Any final words, Mr. Living Good, before we close this one out? We uh, did not talk because it's not a position coach, but again, undersung uh, to have uh, Coach B.A. Uh, you know, it's not a position, but he is uh, – the results that you see weeks one through 12 or 13, whatever is uh, usually starts in the off season with the conditioning program. And he has done a great job transforming some of these bodies. Like uh, we have talked about with coach Huff, people losing necessary weight or putting on necessary weight as needed, even keeping the weight the same way, but uh, transitioning from, a body fat percentage to where they have more muscle and speed. So kudos to coach BA as well. Yeah. I didn't want to leave him out. I'm glad you brought that up. BA has been a, um, a welcome addition to the herd staff for a number, a number of years now. And you'll hear coaches a lot of times say games are won and lost in the weight room. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they are a lot of times uh, there were times in seasons past where our, our approach to strength and conditioning was let's see how many weight room records we can break and they did that but it didn't translate to success on the football field and then there have been other times to where our philosophy has been totally different and we've had mixed results well you know in year three here with coach huff i think this is kind of where the rubber meets the road the most because you've had ba for a number of years you've got the guys in-house that you want in-house you've got the system and the roster built the way you want the roster built and now we really just need to see if it all comes together the way that uh, this process is supposed to come together. We've been asked to trust the process for a number of years now, right? And for two years, I think that we and the remain, remainder of the herd fan base has done that without too much chirping and, and uh, you know, being too vocal in a negative way. But year three is where you really want to see the fruits of all that labor, right? And, and that's not unfair to say. I think everybody knows that. And I think 
most folks are feeling that. A lot of folks want to see it in two years, and that's usually just not the game we're in. Year three is the payoff. We have to see that championship come to Huntington or at least play for one, you know, for folks to continue, uh, I want to say, continue being okay with trusting the process, you know. But uh, that's your 2023 coaching staff breakdown. Next week, we'll come back and we'll start with the special teams unit, uh, breaking down that whole that whole roster breakdown and who transferred out and who transferred in and who graduated and all that good stuff. So, Russ, if you got nothing else, take that here. Yeah, I got one little small thing, and this is not about Marshall, but uh, a little bit personal. And uh, this guy is, uh, for all intents and purposes, my brother. But yesterday I got to see uh, Chief Warren Officer 4, Todd Dillon, fly his final flight for the Army. Uh, Todd is a frequent listener of this uh, uh, show, and he flew in to Huntington Tri-State and went down to Frost Top with me and his dad and a few other people and uh, got a root beer and a couple of hot dogs, and then we got to see him fly back over to Fort Knox and that was his final flight with the army after years and years and years. So it was extremely cool. And I have two things to say to Todd who will probably be listening to this. And the first is what if I talk like this and you put it on 1.25 speed to listen to me. And the second <laughs> is ain't it bulls. And I know that KD will love that, but uh, Todd, if anybody deserves an ain't it bulls, it's you on your final flight in the army. Congratulations. And, uh, Enjoy not retirement, but flying for Delta now. But that's it. All right. Take us out, man. All right. Whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the Cam, whether you see us at volleyball camp, or whether you see us at Huntington Tri-State Airport, giving a big ain't it bulls as Todd Dillon flies away. Wherever you see us, we're going to be saying, go herd. Go herd. This is the Thundercast. We'll see you next week with a special teams unit breakdown. Later. Later.